0: Jason Myers, does he have it in him again? And Seattle has done it in a classic. And San Francisco suffers their first loss.
1: And then there were none. The last domino finally fell last night as the Seattle Seahawks take down San Francisco 27-24 in overtime on Monday night football. Joe Testor with the call. Tanner Hoops with the sports pen. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. Lot to get to today. We got a lot of football. We got some basketball. We've got northern Michigan audio and quite a bit of it from today's press conference. All that more coming at you over the course of the next hours. Let's jump right into it. A really fun one last night. Monday night football saw the Seahawks fall behind ten to nothing then take a 21-10 to 10 lead, then blow said 21-10 to 10 lead, as the Niners find a way to get back into it. We saw two strip and score touchdowns, one for each team. I believe I have the audio from both of Joe Testor's calls. Let me, let me play that quick.
0: And he is take, ball is out, and Clowney's got it, and Seattle's on the board. Just like that, things can change so quickly. Sharon Reed forced it out Clowney scoop and score
1: so that one happened first that was midway through the second quarter and it was Seattle's first score so it was 10-6, 10-7 after the extra point by Jason Myers Jadavian Clowney with the fumble return DeForest Buckner would do it a little bit later fourth quarter and that got San Fran within one score
0: play action off of this on second and seven and they get to him and they do so by bringing Williams and then the ball comes out And picking it up is Buckner. And we've got a San Francisco touchdown. To Forrest Buckner. Great football awareness.
1: That game lived up to the hype. That was one of the best primetime games that we've had maybe since last year's Monday night. 54-51 shootout, Rams and Chiefs. Either way, what did we learn from last night? We have 10 weeks in the books. What do we know about the NFL what can we say with a reasonable amount of certainty well first let's start with this ESPN the mothership came out with the latest NFL power rankings the top 10 look like this New England has the top spot San Fran is at number two Baltimore number three Seattle surges up to fourth and Green Bay is fifth 6 through 10 New Orleans Minnesota Houston Kansas City and Dallas I wanna know how Dallas is still in the top 10 in these power rankings. I know I'm questioning the mothership, but how is Dallas still in the top ten? They're going to be a playoff team by default. I said a couple weeks ago, was it, that the Cowboys will get in as the NFC East champion. They'll be the champions of a bad division. But there are five teams in the NFC alone that are better than them. San Francisco, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans and Minnesota in no particular order, are all better than the Cowboys. The L.A. Rams might be better than the Cowboys, but the Rams have two stacked teams, two potential Super Bowl contenders in front of them in that NFC West, and that's why the Rams won't be going to the playoffs one year after making the Super Bowl, and the same year they trade for an all-pro corner in Jalen Ramsey. They have the same coach who, if you had a cup of coffee once with him, that got you a job and the Rams are going to miss out in the postseason. I still think that the playoff picture is set as it is right now, with San Fran and Seattle both making it from the west, Green Bay, Minnesota from the north, New Orleans, and then Dallas. But last night showed us that there still is a path to Seattle winning the NFC West. I've said it before, I've always had Seattle winning that division. I didn't think San Fran would be surging like they are. I thought Seattle and L.A. would be the playoff teams from that division. Looks like Seattle and then San Fran is a wild card. Right now, the Seahawks are half a game out. 8-2. San Fran's 8-1. And they play each other again in Seattle. To me, the Seahawks are still the best team in that division because they're the most complete team. San Fran did the right thing going out and getting somebody like Emmanuel Sanders. I think a lot of teams should have made a move like that. I think the Packers very well could have made that move And they would have been better off for it. But instead, the Niners are the beneficiaries. So let's talk about the MVP race. What did we learn last night? Russell Wilson put on a show. And to me, it's a two-man race between Russ and Lamar Jackson. With Aaron Rodgers waiting in the wings. Christian McCaffrey waiting in the wings. That's probably the top four. But to me, there's a clear and obvious top two. And I said a few weeks ago, that as fun as Lamar Jackson is, he's not winning MVP. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you agree with my takes or not, whether you like the content that I spew out here, if something is wrong, I'll walk it back. I'll eat it. I'm not going to be somebody who's stubborn, can't change perspective, and I will walk something back, and I'm ready to walk back on my Lamar Jackson isn't going to win MVP take. Because he's continuing to elevate his game. Lamar Jackson very well could win MVP. Say, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I'll be real. You may not always like what I say, but you know I'm going to be real with you. I'm not going to do a character. I'll be real, and I'll be honest. And I can admit that there is a legit chance Lamar Jackson could win MVP. I didn't think so a few weeks ago. I do now. In fact, if I had a vote, I don't. But if I had a vote... I would vote for Lamar Jackson right now over Russell Wilson. I did a really informal, unscientific Twitter poll asking my followers who they would pick for NFL MVP 10 weeks into the year. 41% of the vote, the most popular answer was Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is the popular pick for NFL MVP. 41%, 30 went to Russell Wilson. 24 went to other. Aaron Rodgers got 5% of the vote. Christian McCaffrey's still got to be in the conversation. What he's done for Carolina, keeping them afloat. Well, if you talk about valuable, he's pretty much the definition of it. Valuable. Because he has been the Carolina offense. Taking over the role as the best offensive player. But you think about what Lamar Jackson has done in Baltimore. Isn't that the definition of valuable? He was doing it last year. He went 6-1 and one as a starter. Got Baltimore into the postseason. And now he's taken that team and his game to another level. Lamar Jackson is embodying what it means to be the most valuable player on your team and maybe in this league. Maybe he will rightfully get recognized as the most valuable in this league. I think he should. I think he should. So if Lamar Jackson does get this award, let's speculate and say Lamar Jackson is this year's MVP. We fast forward about seven weeks What precedent does that set? Because so often you see coaches draft a guy, a pro-style guy, and think you could plug him into any system. They're such a good coach, their system can't fail. You could put any half-decent JV quarterback into that system, and it would not fail. Because they're schemers. They're just that brilliant of a head coach. Brady Kitchens thought he could do that with Baker Mayfield. Adam Gase, quarterback whisperer, thought he could do that with Sam Darnold. Pat Schirmer thought he could do that with Daniel Jones. And really the only coach whose system will work without fail is Belichick. And there's only one Belichick. But John Harbaugh set a new precedent, and it's such a simple idea, such a novel concept. Let's get an offense tailored to our quarterback. I'm not going to draft a guy who did not win the Heisman Trophy because of his passing ability, and then plug him into a pro-style offense, the same offense that had Joe Flacco run and expect him to be successful. Lamar Jackson's skill set, vastly different than Joe Flacco's predecessor in Baltimore. And John Harbaugh had to know that. And I don't think he gets enough credit for the innovative work that he's done, for the way he's schemed as a head coach. For the job that he's done shifting and molding an offense tailored to the strengths of his quarterback. It's such a novel concept. Design your offense around your quarterback. Don't try to fit a square peg in a round hole. I don't know if it's hubris, it's pride, but so many of these coaches will not conform to their quarterback strength. I don't know why that's a hard concept, but John Harbaugh schemed and designed a whole new offense tailored to his quarterback's skill set, a skill set vastly different than the guy whose job he took. And he did this mid-season last year. This has been working for over a year now. Lamar Jackson very well could be the NFL MVP again. He's got my vote. Ten weeks into the year, Lamar Jackson, to me, is the NFL MVP But John Harbaugh doesn't get enough credit for putting Jackson in a position to succeed. I'm not saying that Jackson's a system quarterback. Don't take that away from this because his natural athleticism, we saw that at Louisville. We've known that he's something really special for a long time now. But John Harbaugh put his quarterback in a position to succeed. What's more, the general manager, the front office, all on board with it as well. You have a guy who doesn't have a flashy arm. He's not going to chuck it 70 yards down the field. So what do you do? You go out and you sign Mark Ingram, and you load up on tight ends. You don't necessarily have to invest in wide receivers, although they did get a really good one in Marquise Brown with their first overall pick this year. But if you got a quarterback who's going to be a run-first guy, then you build up around him. You build up with Mark Ingram and a group of tight ends. That's where you invest your offensive skill set. And that line has been great. Don't forget the guys up front. But the Ravens are the perfect example of a coach tailoring an offense to a quarterback, putting him in a position to succeed. And the front office being on the same page as the head coach. They are putting their coach in a position to succeed. And likewise, the coach is putting the quarterback in a position to succeed. By the way, a little more perspective here before we hit the break. Through their first 16 career starts, here's how Lamar Jackson matches up against other star quarterbacks. First 16 starts, Lamar Jackson, 13 wins, Pat Mahomes, 12. Well, you know that I don't like to attribute wins to a quarterback. I know that starting quarterbacks have that win-loss record. I think it's stupid. So let's keep going down the line a little bit more. Rushing yards, Lamar Jackson, 1,258. LaDainian Tomlinson, 1,236. Through their first 16 career games. Okay, yeah, the game's evolved. Guys are bigger, stronger, maybe faster. But still, that's LaDainian Tomlinson. That's one of the all-time greats. So let's keep on going down the line. Through their first 16 career games, Lamar Jackson's passer rating, 94.4. Tom Brady's, 90.1. The GOAT. Lamar Jackson. A running back, they called him. A guy that should be playing receiver. And uh, He's got a better passer rating than the GOAT, Tom Brady, at this point in their career. Yards per attempt, Lamar Jackson 7.6, Aaron Rodgers 7.5. And completion percentage, Lamar Jackson 63, Drew Brees 61. The completion percentage king. Lamar Jackson is the MVP. At this point in the season... Lamar Jackson is your MVP 10 weeks into the year, and John Harbaugh very well could be coach of the year. I think they both deserve it for what they've done, although there's going to be some competition for coach of the year in the sense that Frank Reich, barring you don't have another collapse against the Dolphins, they won't because they don't play him again this year, but another bad loss, a game you shouldn't have lost, that hurts. That hurts Frank Reich. John Gruden, if Oakland gets into the postseason, I don't think they are. But John Gruden has done a heck of a job coaching that Raiders team this year. That's that dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. John Gruden has been exceptional as a head coach. Let's take a timeout when we come back. Let's talk a little basketball. Blake Griffin made his return to the lineup last night. Didn't get the outcome that he was hoping for. Next on ESPN-UP.
0: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
1: Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Let's turn our attention to the court where last night Blake Griffin returned, made his season debut as the Timberwolves took down the Pistons 120 to 114 Derek Rose back in the lineup after injuring a hamstring they both played limited minutes Griff looked pretty good last night 19 points on 6 of 12 shooting even hit a three Derek Rose added just six points as Minnesota snapped an eight game losing streak against a team that's perennially owned them Minnesota in their terrible uniforms got out to a hot start. They were 8 of 10 from behind the arc in the first quarter. They had 41 first quarter points. The Pistons were dead in the water from the beginning because Minnesota just laid it on them early on. Never seemed to cut into that deficit. Now the Pistons are a team that I thought would be a playoff team. I thought they would go 41 and 41. I'll stick with that. They're 4 and 7 to start the year, but it's too early for me to say they're not going to be a playoff team or they're not going to be a 500 team. So I think the eight seed, 41-41, same as last year, I think that's pretty reasonable. But they do have a problem. They do have a problem. Tony Snell is playing major minutes for them. And there's nothing wrong with Tony Snell, but there's a reason that he's no longer with the Bucks, or that he was never seeing the floor with the Bucks. And if you want to elevate your game to play at that level, needless to say, you can't be doing that with Tony Snell. I don't care how good of a coach Dwayne Casey is, and I think he is one of the best coaches in basketball, but the cover's just empty. The cupboard's empty, and you've got to be thankful if you're a Pistons fan, despite all of that, that you're not going through what the Knicks are putting their coach through right now. The Knicks are going to nick because it's been reported Stephen Mills, general manager, is laying the groundwork to fire head coach David Fisdale. You've got empty cupboards, for the most part, in Detroit, New York. I'm not saying Detroit is a barren wasteland because they've got some all-pro caliber players between Blake and Drummond. I really like what Luke Kennard has been doing. He's not an all-pro, but I like him. New York is just a mess in every sense. And David Fisdale, a guy who was on the rise a couple of years ago, had options, is going to take the fall for it. The Knicks just continue to vomit all over themselves. James Dolan is the NBA equivalent to Dan Snyder. And David Fisdale, who I believe is a really good coach who's never had pieces to be successful with, actually, they traded his best player last year, is going to take the fall. David Fisdale may not last this week. They traded away Christophs Porzingis. I get it. He said he wasn't going to resign. You get what you can for him. For one, they could have got more. And secondly, you let your relationship. With your best player, your former number four overall draft pick, get that fractured where he wasn't going to re-sign with you? That's how poorly mismanaged the Knicks are in their front office, and that won't be changing anytime soon. So no matter what your situation is, be thankful you're not a Knicks fan, a Washington Redskins fan, because there's not a lot of hope with those franchises. There's no reason to be hopeful going forward. I'm not going to put the Cowboys in that category. But people say I'm hard on the Cowboys. I do think they're a good team. I think they're an above-average team. I think they'll be a playoff team. But I tell you what, you just lost on your home field to another pretty good team, a team that I wouldn't say Minnesota and Dallas are comparable, but both will be playoff teams. And you had your quarterback playing the game of his life, going up against a team without their best cover corner, without their best run-stopper. And without their best wide receiver. And you still lose. Because that puppet that's masquerading as a head coach on the Dallas sideline is not going anywhere. That's Jerry Jones' guy. And he's going to get him into the playoffs this year. That'll be enough to retain Jason Garrett. Whose play calling down the stretch Sunday night was just atrocious. But getting back to the matter at hand, which is the NBA. David Fisdale is going to be out of a job. Maybe by this week. And it's not his fault. He was never given a roster to win. Never had the tools to be successful in New York. And that's his fault? We know it's not. James Dolan and Steve Mills don't. If you want an idea of how poorly mismanaged this Knicks team is, and why there shouldn't be hope for them going forward, here's your stat of the day. In the last fourteen months, the New England Patriots, a football team, they play a sixteen game schedule as compared to eighty-two in the NBA. The Patriots have played twenty eight games and they've won twenty-two. The Knicks have played ninety-two games and won nineteen. In the last fourteen calendar months, the New England Patriots have more wins than the New York Knicks. 22 to 19. That's why there's no hope going forward for the Knicks. Doesn't matter. Who's going to be their head coach? And who's going to want that job? If you're an established head coach, why would you think that job looks attractive? If you're a guy who can coach in the NBA and do a good job with it, why would you want to put yourself in that situation? If you're an up-and-comer, a successful assistant coach, you just saw what happened to David Fisdell. That was his path, and now he's the fall guy. If you're a successful college coach, you know you're going to get your shot in the NBA. You don't want that to be your first taste of NBA action. Will somebody take that job? Sure, because you're coaching in New York. But the state of the Knicks is not going to improve anytime soon. They swung and missed on getting the two major free agents, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. They never had the opportunity to get Zion Williamson, and the necks are going to continue being as atrocious as ever before. Let's take another time out. Let's hear from the MHSAA. When we come back, we'll talk a little northern Michigan. I've got some wildcat audio for you next on espn
2: Reading railroad, sideline patrol, and a good example of a bad example. It's all next on This Week in High School Sports powered by Michigan Student Aid. Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again everyone, I'm John Johnson and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. If you really know your railroads, the original was pronounced Reading for its Pennsylvania roots. But those of us who just know it from playing Monopoly, we usually call it Reading. Like the town in southern Michigan near where our southern border intersects with Ohio and Indiana and this year the Reading Ranger football team is racing down the tracks again led by two-way lineman Nick Affolder. The MVP of the Big 8 Conference, a six-foot-three, 300-pound Affolder has the defending Division 8 champions in the regional finals this weekend against Adrian Lenaway Christian and he's a force to be reckoned with.
1: We have
3: not any offensive defensive lineman been uh, league MVP before. He works extremely hard. You uh, look at him that's not the first thing you would say is, boy, is he in great shape, but he is. I mean, he's 307 pounds. He's a big boy, but he's just competitive.
2: Head coach Rick Bailey. The multi-sport affolder carries a 4.0 grade point average, is a class officer, and a leader in his school's Fellowship of Christian Athletes chapter. You can read more about Nick Affolder on the second half page of the MHSAA website and watch Reading Against Lenaway Christian live this Friday night at 7 on MHSAA TV. Our game balls this week go out to Allen Park running back Nico Tiberia who ran for 253 yards and two touchdowns on 19 carries in a football playoff win over Riverview last week. And the girls volleyball team at Jackson Northwest captured its first district title since 2001 with a 3-2 victory over Okemos. Brookline Bevier with 16 kills and Henley Slay with 15 paced the Mountie attack. Back with more in a moment you're listening to this week in high
1: school sports.
2: our weekly Be The Referee feature takes a look into the fine art of officiating with Sam Davis. Safety in football continues to be a hot topic. We've previously talked here about rules that improve player safety. Today we're going to focus on the adults, specifically coaches and officials that work at the sideline area just in front of the team box. The rule requires that from the time just before the snap until the end of play, all coaches and team personnel must be completely out of the six-foot safety zone located in front of the team box at each sideline. This then gives the official plenty of room to work unimpeded in either direction. Now as soon as the play ends, coaches can move into the area to instruct their players or to send in the next play and then move back prior to the next snap. Thanks Sam, you can be a referee. Go to the MHSAA website now to register. I've often said that the coach is the most influential individual when it comes to how his or her team and their fans behave at a game. A head coach ejected during an event recently got others so worked into a lather that an assistant was later ejected. The head coach got back on the playing surface after the game and contacted one of the officials while pursuing them, and fans broke into the officials' locker room as there was no security provided to them by the host school. The ejection was based on personal comments towards the officiating crew, which is a point of emphasis to prohibit in Michigan this year, and this coach, frankly, should have been tossed earlier. Now, disagreeing with officials is as old as sport itself, but it can be done without making it personal and without provoking those on the bench, on the playing surface or in the stands. Allowed to go on too long, however, you're bound to get problems like this, which I've seen too many times over too many years and all of which were unnecessary. So as we head into championships in a variety of sports over the next few weeks. Let's all keep sportsmanship at the forefront, but I especially challenge those who lead our teams so that we don't have another good example of a bad example. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSCA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time.
0: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
1: Welcome back, Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. Here's your sports center update. New York Mets first baseman Pete Alonzo and Houston Astros first baseman Jordan Alvarez have each been named Rookie of the Year in their respective leagues. The Canadian television network SportsNet has fired longtime Hockey Night in Canada broadcaster Don Cherry following controversial remarks made on air this weekend, and finally, the Miami Heat have suspended Dion Waiters for 10 games after he was caught eating a THC-infused gummy on a team flight. There's a lot we can get into with that update, and I would go pretty in-depth into that if we didn't have Northern Michigan audio to get to. I tell you what, I want to know what kind of gummy it was, like if it was a worm, a bear. I don't know. But it was press conference day at Northern Michigan. I've got audio for you from hockey, football, and both basketball teams. Let's start on the gridiron, though, where Kyle Nystrom saw his group fall to Saginaw Valley State on senior day. It was a tough one from the get-go. Saginaw got out to a hot start, and they ran away with it. Coach was asked at what point did he feel it started getting out of hand.
3: Probably the second score. First of all, it was funny because we had a head coach's meeting last week, and Grant went first. and. And he said, we're winning, we're scoring, but we're not defending well. And then I talked next, and I said, we're not winning, we're not scoring, but we're defending well. And then Saturday came and showed up. We didn't defend well. We played awful on defense. And um, we just didn't match up with them where we had to match up with them. And, the, and the, They're a big RPO and Wildcat, or not Wildcat, but... uh. But quarterback run team has a choice and an option. So whenever you add those elements, the RPOs and and the quarterback into the run game, well there's an extra blocker in there. So you have to you have to play a little bit thin in the back end in order to secure all the run fits. And if you do that, which you have to do, you have to stop the run. If you don't, they're just gonna hand it off and keep rolling and doing those things and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to, you know, double-gap things and, and win one-on-twos as far as the defensive players are concerned. And we're not that, that kind of defense, not yet. And so it forces you to, to, to play a lot of hats down in the gaps and, and go man-match concepts on the back end. And we, we couldn't handle them. And then when we did thin out and, and and played more coverage, softer coverage where we could help them, then they just ran the ball on us. so. In order to stop those kinds of offenses, your secondary has to be able to win for you on one-on-one matchups, and their wideouts were, were really good, and we couldn't we couldn't cover them when we need to cover them. And the quarterback was on, like I had said last week. I I think he's the best quarterback, throwing the ball and managing the offense the way he does in the league, and he proved he proved that on Saturday. So that was that was disappointing as far as our performance there. But I think the the second play where we checked just the quarters. Against a tight end and a wideout, and they run what I call orbit, and we cut the the vertical loose for an easy touchdown. That that's what we line up on install day one in the spring and in and in summer camp, and we didn't play it right, so that was unacceptable, unacceptable. So, um, and then we you know we try to do as much offensively as we could. We had some new new things in there, new wrinkles, and different quarterback, and do some stuff. And at times we could move the ball on the, on the ground, but you know they're playing the bearcat defense, uh, you know, which Ferris and Grand Valley and Saginaw are all playing that defense, and it's really a squeezed front and a loaded box, and they play man all day. So like there's the difference between what those teams can do compared to what we can do. I mean, they're rushing for and they're playing man all day and don't give anything up. And so when you can do that. It makes things you know, your call sheets really really light and it's effective. Whereas in Saturday's game I had plenty of calls for each personnel group, but it got real small real fast. It's not fun when you get into that. So um we'll find out, you know, what we're made of. And so far we've been good. Um you know, we we had uh our meeting last night, we were on the field last night, we'll get ready to go today and and uh our players disappointed, but they'll keep fighting and they'll keep pushing through.
1: Well, they did briefly try a quarterback change. Coach talked about that. If that's what they want to do going forward here into the final week?
3: We're playing both quarterbacks, and then we had a, a point with him where things didn't go well, and then we stuck with Keyshawn.
1: So now it's Ashland, a traditionally tough opponent. They go on the road for this one. What's Coach expecting this week?
3: We'll try to maul you. We'll try to maul you. And they'll get you up in the box, loaded up, and, you know, get get you to stop all the stuff they do in the run game and then they'll throw it over your head. And so Ashland is the same um, is what they do as far as offense. And then um, they just have a, a, a quarterback that's just getting going and um, a new tailback that's a freshman. Good player, though. Good player. Big up front. On defense, they're... Um, Active in the box. They're very very multiple in what they do. A lot of pressure. Uh, Veteran linebackers. um, They lost a few people up front on D-line, but they've got older players behind them, and they're functioning well. And their secondary's probably been the most change as far as who used to play and who's gone and who's in there now. But um, they do what they do. They're doing the same, same kind of things they've always done they're going to be in your face on defense. They're going to be in your def- and they're going to make you throw the ball and you're going to have to be able to do it to move the ball and be successful against them. So it's a great challenge.
1: Coach was asked, is it tougher to end the year on the road as compared to on your home field?
3: We focus fine on the road. Sometimes I think we focus a little bit better on the road than we do at home just because it's a smaller group. We're together all the time. They can't get away from you.
4: <laughs> There's nowhere to go.
3: And so, um, I look forward to the trip look forward to the trip look forward to the game and um, let's go find a way to win
1: Kyle Nystrom head football coach in northern Michigan at his weekly presser earlier today let's move over to hockey Grant Patoni stopped by talking about the weekend series with St. Cloud and looking ahead to Alaska this weekend well coach said last week that scoring wasn't much of a problem for his guys but they weren't defending very well does he still feel that way
5: yeah, and probably not playing defense is maybe not the proper way for me to put it, but you know, and I go back even when I was a player, as an athlete, you you evaluate your performance on number one, do you win or lose a game, and then number two, what's my individual success within that game? Um, I've been on teams where we were really good. I've coached teams that have been really good. Um, you sometimes when the coach is telling you things and you're winning. Um, it doesn't resonate as well as it does when you have disappointment. So, um, you know, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is um, the offensive side of, you know, most sports, I guess mine in particular, is done in recruiting. You know, you, you, you don't find – you don't turn a two-goal scorer into a 20-goal scorer. Um, you find those guys in recruiting – um, areas that you can improve as a coach is the defensive part of your game. And, um, so that, that, that's the good part. Um, but we do have to get that side of, of the game figured out. And part of that, I think, is practice. I mean, the offensive categories, if you look at our team, you want to be in the top 20. In, in, in all offensive categories, we're in the top seven or six or power play, goals four, things like that. But we practice those things with a purpose. When we get to the other side of the puck, sometimes I, I feel like the you might get eighty five percent of of the one hundred percent effort. So, um, you know, now I think we have their attention. So, hopefully, we get one hundred percent on that side of the puck, and um, you know, we can af- we can affect uh, you know the outcomes in the game with some coaching.
1: Coach hinted that maybe the guys started getting a little complacent, thinking the scoring's just going to be there, and it wasn't at times this weekend against St. Cloud.
5: Friday was probably a wake-up call. I don't think we're nearly competitive enough. Um, We didn't start on time. You know, and and you kind of, you got to understand the situation of every team, too. And they were a little bit of a wounded animal. Um, You know, we talked about, I figured their coach was going to be ornery. Uh, He definitely was, and their players played like it. So, um, you know, I I think we missed an opportunity there. Um, You know, to just, to, to get into the series, and it almost took us, Till Friday night when we got the power plays to get into the series. Um, even though we were down in, in game two, um, we played a much better game. Uh, I think they were opportunistic in some opportunities. Uh, we hit three pipes. So, um, yes, we had to score three in the third to get it to overtime, um, score four goals. But uh, I thought we played much better Saturday.
1: Friday night after the game, Griffin Lochran said they played well for about 10 minutes. In a 60-minute game plus overtime, did Coach feel that way?
5: We executed better for 10 minutes. Um, I thought we played hard. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, I do think we have enough athletes that when we have the right mindset, our execution will be there most nights. Um, probably Saturday, we didn't execute as well as we should have or could have to start the game, um, but we did in the third.
1: Now for this northern squad, scoring isn't a problem. The numbers are about top ten in almost every offensive category across the board. Coach is pleased with how the offense has been working for the most part.
5: Yeah, I mean we're almost scoring four goals a game and you know if you look historically after, at the previous couple seasons, we we I mean we, we give it we gave up two point four, two point three. 2.3, um, you know, that's when the math really works. If you're down at 2.2, 2.3, and you're up at four, you're going to win a lot of games. Um, you know, and that's, you know, partly because of the emergence of those sophomores. You know, Griffin and, and Vinny and, um, you know, Lovin's done a nice job. Um, you know, I think we're getting some offense from our decor. So, um, you know, that's been a huge factor in why we can generate offense.
1: Scary moment at the Barry Event Center Friday night when a pane of glass shattered, causing a slight delay. It almost helped Northern in a way, though. It gave them a chance to hit the reset button and come out a little bit stronger.
5: You know, we were fortunate that the, the glass broke because it gave us a chance to reset. Um, and then, you, you know, you got a chance on the on the five minute major to, to majors to reset too and, and make a few plays. So um, that was probably fortunate because we were kind of hanging on. You know, they were, um, you know, they were coming every game. There's going to be ebb and flows of the game, and sometimes you just kind of got to get through a little push by them, but. Um, I think their big push was just about to start and um, probably a fortunate time for for us to have a a break in the game.
1: It's the most popular question people want to ask coach I dare you next time you talk to coach Petoni ask him what question has been asked to you the most I guarantee it's this one are you any closer to making a decision as far as who is the number one goalie going forward?
5: You know I don't know yet Um, like I've said at some point we have to um, it, we've been winning. So when you're winning, you're just going to continue on. Um, this weekend, that wasn't the case. So um, does that affect the mindset maybe going into Saturday? Maybe. Um, you know, but again, it's based on lots of other factors, too. Um, I, I don't think one performance, good or bad, based on what they've done to this point, is going to affect you know the, their playing time the rest of the year.
1: So Alaska comes to town this weekend. The Cats saw the Nanooks in the postseason last year. This is a different Alaska team, though. They're highly competitive this year. What's Coach expecting this weekend?
5: No disrespect to them at all. Um, I don't care who we're playing this weekend. I wouldn't care if it was um, Denver, who was number one, Mankato, who's tied with them, number one, or whoever number 60 is in the pairwise. This week's about us. It's about um, cleaning up those areas that we've talked about continually for the last six games. Um, it's about getting back to the level of, like, here's us. And this is how the Wildcats are going to play every night. If you beat us and you get over that bar, good for you. We, we, we've just been too inconsistent. So if we can play to this level and that we're pleased with and and our opponent and this weekend, it's Alaska gets over that bar, good for them. Um you know they've shown that they can though. They've beaten Penn State. They've beaten Arizona State. They swept Tech. Um, so they're they're obviously a much improved team. Um, and that's why I said is no disrespect to them at all. They're um, they're much improved from from what they've been. Um, you know they're a factor nationally now. Um, but we we have to worry about us right now. And um, you know just this is just a week that happens to be that opponent. You know no matter who we are playing, I would give you the same answer because of what we've been doing. You know, and the same thing we talked to the guys, we're coaching for the end of the year. You know, we're not coaching for Friday night. And we got to fix these things, because if you don't, the things that continually pop up are the ones that break your heart at the end. And we got to fix them.
1: Grandpa Tony, Northern Michigan hockey coach from his presser earlier today. I tell you what, we owe you a timeout. When we come back, we're going to play some basketball audio, that of Matt Mackerzak and Troy Madsen. Don't forget, the latest college football playoff rankings drop tonight, 7 o'clock. We'll find out who's in the top four, who's in the top six, who's in the top ten, and who is on the outside looking in. All that and more coming up later this evening, but right now, after the commercial, we've got audio for you from Northern Basketball. Let's get to it next on ESPN-UP.
0: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
1: If you missed any of today's show, get caught up on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple Store Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as we wind down this Tuesday afternoon. I've got some basketball audio from Northern Michigan, that of Troy Matson and Matt Mackerzak. Let's jump right into it because... As both basketball teams opened their seasons this weekend and Northern's women did so with a outstanding defensive effort in game one. Started out a little slow maybe and then forced a one point second quarter.
4: You know again we're going to pride ourselves on our defense but uh, their offense just fed right into our defense and uh, so at some point during that game I mean they got off to a great start on us I think it was like 15 to 5 or something but then after that uh, they just struggled, you know. We're longer, a little bit more athletic, and and their offense just fed right into us. So it, it made it a lot easier for us to be able to do the things that we wanted on the defensive end, and and then we, you know, executed and played halfway decent on the offensive end, and and uh, so yeah, I was I was happy that that had happened, but uh, we kind of knew that going in it was going to be tough for them to score at some point during that game.
1: So the weekend saw the opportunity for a lot of players to get on the floor, get game experience. Coach talked about how important it was to get so many players' feet wet here on opening weekend.
4: Yeah, I mean, we we kept our, our minutes down on, you know, some of the people that need to have our minutes down. You know, Jessica Schultz and Lexi Smith, anytime I can get them rest, um, we, we need to do that. Liz Lutz, you know, same thing. I mean... Uh, uh, they played well in the first game, and we need to keep their minutes down. So, when we got the big lead, we were able to get a lot of people in. And, and then we got some new people that are going to have to help us this year. And, uh, like uh, Coach Kyle said, uh, you know, Sam Potter had a real good first game. I mean, 7.7 rebounds for a freshman. And I thought Michaela Kuhn for a freshman had a real good outing, too. So, um, you know, we were, we were happy. Obviously, we were really happy, you know, for the first game to be able to do
1: those types of things. The second game tougher for Northern this weekend. They came out and dropped that one. Coach addressed what happened there.
4: It was a perfect storm against us, to be honest with you. So we watch, uh, you know, we play first game and we played probably good, but we probably think we're better than what we really are at this point. And then we watch Michigan Tech play Lewis, and uh, Lewis plays just terrible. And got to credit Tech for that too. Then we come back and we watch... William Jewell play Michigan Tech, and William Jewell beats Michigan Tech, so we're thinking, you know, this is going to be a piece of cake to go in against Lewis, and the number 20 team in the country showed up. And it don't matter, like uh, Grant said, it doesn't matter how much you warn them uh, at this point when you got new people that are going to be playing out there. And I tried to warn them that Lewis is going to punch us right in the face to start the game, and they did. And uh, we weren't prepared for it, and then we didn't shoot the ball well at all. And defensively, we had some breakdowns. And you know, and credit Lewis—they they had to bounce back. William Jewell had to bounce back against Tech. Lewis had to bounce back against us, and they did. And uh, we weren't—you uh, know—on the road. We didn't play very well, and uh, they played well.
1: So now, a big one coming up this week with Mankato, a team that Northern beat a season ago, fifty-nine to fifty-one. What do we expect this time around?
4: Uh, Mankato State uh, returns everybody. Uh, from last year they're big they're very physical and uh they're going to pressure us a lot in the half court set and try to make us turn the ball out but they're just so strong and, and tough uh, offensively they've had some you know offensive woes which you know hopefully will help us when we're out there but uh, we got to be able to deal with the physicality of the game i mean it's uh and I think we're big, but they're bigger and stronger. and uh, So we're going to have to be able to accept how tough they are on their defensive end and be able to handle the basketball and get the ball to where we need to get it.
1: Coach was asked if his rotation is starting to become more clear or if he needs maybe another week.
4: Uh, Elena Leix, one of our girls from Spain, uh, was not able to play because of NCAA violations last week. And she's the one that's going to be kind of giving Lexi a big break. Uh, and uh, you know, so we'll get her back. Uh, I think we're going to be about 10 or 11 deep uh, at the present time. Although Liz Lutz is probably not going to play this next game, we have to monitor her games. Um, she's still seeing doctors about her foot and, and stuff like that. But uh, no, I, I think our rotations are getting better. Our, our, biggest, th- our biggest thing right now is going to be experience at the guard position. Um, our, our front lines are pretty intact. and uh, but uh, we've got freshmen playing at the at the guards' position, and they, you know, struggled at times this weekend, and that's going to happen for a while you know, until they get uh, the experience that they need and will continue to watch film and continue to get better, you know, with uh, them in practice so that uh, we can continue to get better as a team.
1: You heard Grant Patoni mention that his team is totally focused on themselves, not on who they're playing. Does Coach Matson feel the same way?
4: we got so much to learn. Like I said, just playing freshmen. I mean, anytime you have to play... If any coach, think Matt told me, he says, there's some programs in basketball they will not. They redshirt every freshman. You know, we're just in a position that we have to play two or three freshmen right now, and they just got, it's such an adjustment for them. They just don't understand, you know, as great of players as they are in high school when they get to this level, they don't understand it. And Grant was talking about it. There's two ends of the court here. You know, we might be pulling in 20-plus point scores, but uh, on the defensive end in high school, they probably weren't asked or demanded to play defense or understand it as well as they need to in the college level. And to understand that they have to play every second out there and not take plays off is really, really big. And uh, that's things that they'll learn. They're going to learn it. It's just a matter of, you know, how quickly will they learn it so that they can help us win basketball games.
1: Troy Matson, women's basketball coach at Northern Michigan. Let's turn it over to the men's side of things, where they split on opening weekend. Matt Mackerzak gets his first victory on the Northern bench.
6: It was it was awesome. Um, my voice is still a little a little uh, shaky from from all the yelling and excitement during both games in different ways. But yeah, it was a really fun locker room afterwards. I think. We talked about how much they've bought in, um, and it was really nice to see that rewarded right away. You don't know if it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen, but you don't know when it's going to happen. So it was nice to just have that first game um, kind of be validation for a lot of the things we've been working towards and working on. So it's definitely really exciting.
1: So like Coach Matson, does Coach Mack or Zach have an idea of what his rotation is going to look like, or are you going to give it a little more time?
6: Yeah, I think uh, we were planning on going nine deep and we ended up going eight deep, which which is fine. It was just a little bit game flow dependent. We were able to stay out of foul trouble and, um, you know, mixed in some young guys with some returners and kind of had that balance of, of guys who had experience and guys who hadn't had experience, which I think is, it was nice to have those older kids to rely on, especially that first game um, who'd been through a lot of battles and we didn't seem real nervous. We seemed pretty confident and comfortable. Um, considering it is the first game of the year and there's always nerves, I was I was impressed with just how the group seemed pretty um, confident in themselves and, and not too shaken by any of the big moments that came up.
1: Northern drop game two, falling by 25. What happened in that one coach addressed it? The big thing for us
6: was I, I was concerned about after the first game, with being the first year, getting a lot of uh, praise for our guys and even for us, I mean, we you know you get all these texts and calls about how good you did and you know how great it's going to be and um, oh we're moving the ball now and we're shooting threes now it, like it was some magic formula to basketball that we hadn't seen before and um, I knew it wasn't and it was it was a lot of. Right after the game, I said you have 20 minutes to enjoy it, and then you need to refocus because one game is one game, and um, we're still the same team we were. And just because we had some success on on a Saturday, that doesn't mean we're going to have success on Sunday. And um, I I don't know how much it was them buying into that kind of false confidence, or if it was just we played a good basketball team and we didn't play very well. But when I rewatched the film, the biggest thing. We, we just didn't have it. Um, we didn't have the energy. We didn't have the enthusiasm. We didn't have the toughness that we had the night before. And um, again, whether it was kind of all that false praise... Um, getting to our heads or whether it was the second night of a back-to-back and only had 20 hours of rest time and had an 11-hour bus trip the day before, I don't know what it was. Um, I just know that it wasn't uh, acceptable for what we want to be and um, it won't happen again, at least to that level, as far as the energy and effort goes. It's one thing to play bad, but um, the energy and effort wasn't there and, and that's just something that can't happen.
1: So now where is the men's focus? Is it totally on them, like the women's squad and the hockey team? Or do they give a little look-see onto the schedule and see who's on the other side?
6: I would say the only difference in kind of where Grant's at in their season versus where we're at is we're still in that early season where, and a lot of coaches I think say early season, we're going to focus on ourselves and need to get better day in and day out. Obviously all that's true, that's why it's the cliche, but in a lot of cases right now, we have to focus on our opponents because we need to guard stuff for the first time. Um, you, We've seen our offense every day. So if we had to play ourselves, we'd be pretty prepared. But we're seeing different offenses and different teams that we haven't seen maybe what they do day in and day out. So in practice right now, we are spending a lot of time on our opponents, especially trying to get our defense ready to guard against systems that might not be the same. And that was one thing that hurt us on Sunday, and I don't know if we were fully prepared. Is um, Lewis was an opponent that was very similar to who we are, and I thought we guarded their stuff very well because we see it every day. And then McKendree was very different, and I think that definitely hurt us a little bit on Sunday. So we need to do a good job of keep guarding against different actions than just what we see every day out of ourselves.
1: And they have a big one coming up this weekend. Duluth, coach, spoke very highly of the Bulldogs.
6: I, I think Duluth is a, is a, a near-national title contender. Um, I'm very familiar with that conference, having been in it for four years before coming here. I'm probably more familiar with those teams than I am some of the teams we're going to play night in and night out. But um, I think Duluth has a chance to be really, really special this year. They have um, uh, a Wisconsin Badger transfer starting at the center. They have the best player in the league starting at the four spot. So they're two inside guys. as good as any two we will see all year. Um, it's a great test for us to play against their foreman because he reminds me a lot of uh, Kyle Monroe from Tech. So it's it's a good chance for us to go against someone of that quality and that caliber early in the season in a non-conference game. And then their guard play is, is really, really good. They have a bunch of kids that um, I remember coaching against four years ago when they were starting as true freshmen. And now those same kids are starting as seniors and with even better inside play. So I think that team is is special, and it'll be a great chance for us to see kind of where we stack up against the team at, at that level. Um, and then southwest minnesota's um, always one of the best coach teams in that league and um, they're younger they remind me of us a little bit and that they have some players back but they lost um, the player of the year last year so they're very similar to us where they have a lot of experience um, i think they're tough i think they're good defensively but the scoring is going to be the issue for both teams so it should be kind of an interesting one on saturday
1: Mad Mackers act from his weekly presser earlier today. That's it for us. I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope that you join me. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoop, signing off from ESPN UPWZ. I'm Ishbumming Marquette.